Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'd really appreciate you smashing that like button, hitting comment, share, and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. As always, we've got an absolutely fantastic guest here today. Kevin, it's great to see you, my man. Great to see you as well. Appreciate you Thank coming you down. Me. Pleasure. You had a nice uh, 25 minute stroll down today, (laughs) which is awesome. So Kevin, just for the audience out there, it'd be great if you could tell us a bit about who you are and some of your career highlights in two minutes or less. Yeah. So uh, my name is Kevin and from Southern California, grew up, born and raised, San Diego, moved to San Francisco. But my, my past has always been in, I've always been in sales, even as a kid you know, selling barbecue grills all the way up to selling dog training classes. But professionally, when I got into sales was when I opened a small business selling insurance. That was actually the first time that I experienced failure because in the 2008 crash, lost that, took a couple of years to kind of like get my, get my feet, get back on my feet, then got back into to sales selling uh, alarm systems to small business owners, fell in love with the uh, with just the the idea of like just selling. Ended up moving to San Francisco, where I really got into tech sales, worked at a, as, a, as an account executive there, eventually got promoted into leadership. And that's when I found my passion for leadership. Fortunately, company <laughs> missed, a couple, missed a funding round, so things had to be shaken up a bit more and ended up moving on to another role. But on that, during that time, I met my now husband and uh, we decided to, to move to London. And that was three years ago now, where I came here and started working for an early stage startup as head of sales, basically building out the commercial arm, ultimately moved on from there. And today I'm a sales manager for EMEA at a company called Lattice. What a great story. And there's a lot to unpack in that. So you mentioned, is it born and raised in San Diego? Well, I, just outside, a little town called Merino Valley. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard of it. I'm not going to proclaim to. So let, let's start there a, a bit, Kevin, before we start to fast forward in your career. So just in your, your early years, you mentioned having a, an early aptitude for, for sales. You were, were doing things from barbecue grills to everything in between. So walk us through that moment when you started to feel maybe I've got a little bit of flair for just interacting with people, being able to sell, getting them to exchange and part with money. Just just bring us into that, Kevin, from many years ago. Yeah, well, just to kind of give a little bit of context, my dad was a, a metal fabricator and, you know, welder, mechanic. And, you know, his day, he had his day job, but he also had his like side hustle where he was building trailers for like jet skis and selling those. So growing up, I was just in a household where it's, you hustle, you make things happen. So, you know, when I wanted summer money, I needed to do something to, to make that money. So I had all the tools in our garage to build barbecue pits where everybody likes to do, you know, summer barbecues. So I built barbecues and sold them on the, on the street corner <laughs> just outside of, uh, outside of uh, my house, basically. So that was just kind of like the, the moment where I realized that I had the knack for it was... It just, it was more of a conversation. Someone had a need and I had a solution to that need. So I just focused on that. And it wasn't until I got my first job at PetSmart, which is a large pet store across the States. And I went in as a shelf stalker. I was just shelving or selling, uh, packing uh, shelves. 
And they had a dog trainer there and I wanted to be a dog trainer so bad. And in order to be that dog trainer, I needed to sell dog training classes to customers that were coming in. So, you know, I worked with the dog, the, the dog trainer that was there and I was like, hey, I can help you sell some classes. And basically I just started having conversations with people with puppies coming into the, into the shop and you just kind of point on the typical challenges that people run into with having puppies. And, hey, I can help you. Wow. We have dog training. (laughs) So yeah, so I ultimately became that dog trainer and the, you know, number one dog trainer on the, on the West coast in terms of dog training classes sold. So that's where things really like, that's where I found that passion for, for sales. And it was, I was 16. Wow. So the best way to become a great sales manager is to start off selling dog training. (laughs) That's awesome, Kevin. Hey there, Alex Elaine here with a quick message to firstly thank you for tuning in to this week's episode and secondly to tell you about an exciting new venture that I've just launched via EliteLevelAcademy.com. This program is an eight-week intensive with live sales training to transition you from an SDR to your dream 200k plus AE role. The program involves live training, role plays, a community aspect as well as direct access to me. We guarantee you a new account exec role or you pay absolutely nothing, making it completely risk-free. Visit EliteLevelAcademy.com to schedule a call and to get involved. Until then, let's get you back to the episode. There was a word that you mentioned at the beginning of what you were talking about, which is that you came from a family where you had to hustle. Mm -hmm. And you've now had a, a tenured career, a successful career. How much of that early, you know, insulation that your family gave you has been fundamental to your success today. How much of that, that mindset has really played a big role in your career as this unfolded over the years? Yeah, I think I attribute a lot of that as a kid. My my parents were all about just, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't half, you know, half anything, just do it. And if you're going to do it, do it well. So, and give it everything you got. And I, I remember you know, even cleaning our, our, our house, we'd like, my dad would be like, you need to clean the bathroom. And if you didn't clean the bathtub, then you just clean the whole bathroom all over again because you didn't complete the job. So taking that to where I am today, it's given me that grit, that hustle, that, you know, that drive to just be like, I'm going to complete this. I'm going to make this happen, whatever it takes. And you just go for it. One of the key things I think they, they gave me was you can do more than you think. You're stronger than you think. You know, if you feel like you're just at the end of what you got, you got a little bit more, push it a little bit more. And that's the thing that I, I think I attribute a lot of my success to is just, you can do more. You can do just, just dial it up just a little bit more. There's a lot of power in that, Kevin, that, you know, people probably had enough of me talking about mindset, but I'll always preach it because a large part of this role comes down to mindset, right? When you've got that bit between your teeth. I always say you can run through walls and I love that element of your story and how much you can just feel it continues to fuel you today. Let's fast forward to the, the that first corporate role that you had, the first time you actually took a step into a corporate role. You've been clear in saying that you found the passion when you were developing talent, but of course you were in a role where you're an individual contributor first. So just bring us into that first six months of that role and help us understand what that experience was like. Yeah, that actually for me starts just before I moved into tech. And that was when I was selling alarm systems at ADT security and going door business to business, selling alarm systems. That 
gave me like a lot of, you know, you, you hit all the rejection face to face, walking, popping someone's door open and saying, hey, I got something to sell you. Do you want it? And, and then slamming that door, telling you to get out of here. That was the piece, I think, that drove me into being a, a successful tech sales career. Because in tech sales, we don't even meet with people face to face. We're just having a quick conversation with them on the phone or Zoom, and it just feels so distant. So when you're getting that rejection, you're like, okay, let's move on to the next one. And you can get through so many. So those first first six months of coming into my first, you know, uh, tech AE role, it was, it felt like I just, I could do it. I, I just felt it. I, was, I know that I can make this work. I know that I can make this happen. I know that it's going to take work to make it happen. I know I need to dial all those. I know I need to cold call. I know I need to get interest r- within the first 30 seconds. I know I need to let things go within the first 30 seconds if I have to. You know, So that first six months was me just going in and, and flexing that muscle. You know, Obviously, I had my insecurities, but that thing where you... You can just go a little bit more, just a little bit more. Really, really like, helped me be successful in those first six months. And then six months later, I was promoted. That's fantastic. I want to talk about the insecurities, Kevin, because we all have them, right? And everyone has been at that point where their career just started out. And some people listening might be at that point right now. So what were the insecurities and how ultimately did you navigate through them? That's, there's, there's, some, there's some hidden things back there. So... Early in my career, I was closeted, closeted, and my insecurities in my sales role or my AE role was I got to make sure I don't say something that makes someone think I'm, I'm gay, or I want to make sure that I'm not giving too much eye contact, or I'm not saying something that causes someone to ask me about my personal life, you know? So a lot of my insecurities were built like in my head on, I need to stay this course. And if I deviate off this course, there's going to be some questions around my sexuality. So navigating that was, I just need to be great at be at, at being a salesperson. I need to be personable. I need to make people laugh. I need to be able to cut through what people are, 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 are trying to, to do. I need to salute, find the solution to their problem. I need to understand their pain. So I was drilling in deep into understanding them without sharing anything about myself. It wasn't until I it wasn't until I made the the decision to accept me for me authentically just me and come out and basically shout from the rooftops that I'm gay, this is me and that's where things really unlocked for me because at that point there wasn't anything that I was running from in a conversation. There wasn't anything that, there wasn't this like this black hole in a conversation that you're having where you're just not saying things because you don't want it to drive the wrong direction. When I, when I accepted myself is when I could really connect. That was really when I could get honest insights from my prospects. But like even outside of you know, professionally, personally, I was able to make a deeper connection, understand people a little bit more. And it allowed for trust on both sides. And that's when things really unlocked for me. So it was, to answer your question in a, in, a, in a shorter way, just accepting the fact that we all we are people and we all have things that we're dealing with. And the second we're able to say that those things exist, we actually connect more with people by 
spotlighting those rather than hiding from them. Extremely powerful, Kevin. And and I just want to thank you for for being willing to be so transparent and, and vulnerable in that moment. You should absolutely be so proud of being able to share and tell that story. And I think for many people out there, there's a lot to be said, agnostic of what it is that they may be holding in or contending with to absolutely just walk into themselves, embrace themselves and go out there and share their greatness with many other people as you've been able to exemplify. So just thank you for for being so willing to share that part of your story. As you went through that phase and you navigated, I really want to understand the difference it truly made for you in your career, because I know you've highlighted the fact that you you felt deeper connections, you got further. Did you feel something bigger and broader in terms of the actual impact it had on your career, how people received your energy at that stage? What really changed for you after that time? Yeah, I think it goes back to trust. Right. So when you're having a conversation with someone, an old mentor told me, uh, once told me is like, people may not know what's wrong, but they know something's wrong. And that puts a barrier between you and your prospect or your customer, whoever you're, you're the buyer. And there's just like this hidden thing where you're not, for me, it was, I wouldn't talk about someone's, you know, partner. I wouldn't ask them about their weekends. I wouldn't ask them about any holiday plans they have coming up because I didn't want them to ask me about what I was going to be doing in my personal life. So there was this natural barrier that I had to overcome with just my energy, my, you know, I I just had to be a, a lot more personable, a lot more excited, smiling a lot, laughing, joking, drilling it. So there was this, but I, there was always this out of bound zone for me. So once I've unlocked that, that opened the gates for me to really dig into a buyer or a person in general and just ask them, well, what's going on in life? What's happening here? And that's when you really start understanding pain. And you can't understand pain unless you have trust or truly understand pain. You can always get surface pain, but to get deeper levels of pain, like what, why is that a problem for you? Why does that matter beyond you know the business strategy why does this matter to you? And the only way to do that is by having a deeper connection with that person. And you need to be open and vulnerable to be able to earn that type of trust. That was the difference for me because it, it, it translated from, you know, selling more because I understood the, the, the business pain and the personal pain. But it also gave me a, the ability to connect better with my teammates, which allowed for me to really help people in a, in, a, in a more impactful way because I just understood them and they understood where I was coming from. And that really led me into my, my leadership you know, career and, and, and that's where I found my, my love and passion. That's a, a phenomenal story. And it feeds into one of the big teachings I have for a lot of the, the mentees that I work with where in many cases, they'll come to me, they're performing anywhere between 80 and 120% of their number. And big part of my role is to help them get to that 200%. But one of the gaps that I often notice quite early is I see, I say to sellers, you're operating at level one. And what I mean by that is to, to the points that you were touching on, when it comes to their discovery, diving deep into pain, potential challenges, implications for customers, they're stopping at that surface level, what I call level one layer of questioning, and they're missing two and three. So 
any of my mentees that might be listening to this, they'll be tired of me saying, have you gone to level three? Have you gone to level three? And I think the bit that's really powerful about your story is you got out of your own way so that you could go to your level three. And really that's where the the transformative deals, the truly strategic deals start to come into play is when you're able to go way beyond the surface level and truly understand your customers, what they're going through and how your solution can drive a transformative difference for them. So again, fantastic points from that. Let's fast forward from where we got to. So you mentioned your first account exec role. What followed that point, uh, Kevin? Yeah, um, my first account executive role, I was, I was uh, promoted into as a sales manager for a regional sales manager at a company called SmartZip and basically moved into leadership from there and stayed there primarily and just kind of built up from there until the company I was at unfortunately missed a, a funding round, lost a, a, quite a bit of their of their staff, and you know I decided it was time for me to to make some moves. But during that time, I was also you know I'd also just met my now husband, and we were trying to decide where in the world we wanted to go, and we landed on London. So we ended up coming here three years ago, and I came into an early stage uh, startup as head of sales, where I was building out the commercial kind of strategy and, you know, the playbook on how we do sales, how we're going to, you know, close more business, how we're going to launch this new, you know, new product, how we're going to acquire more customers uh, systematically and repeatably. Then I ultimately moved into a larger company because I was feeling like early stage was great. It gave me a lot of the, the grit and the foundational pieces that I needed in order to go on into a later stage company with some tools in my belt, you know, come in and be like, I can be systematic. And I I think that that's where a lot of my weaknesses were, were being a lot more systematic in my approach. And that early stage, you know, startup, you have to be systematic, you have to build from the ground up. And building from the ground up meant that you needed to think deeply about, well, if we are going to acquire X customers, X amount of customers, how do we do that on a repeatable basis? What's the sales process going to look like? What are the things that we need to do in order to acquire those customers quickly? How do we hand those customers over to our you know, customer success side of the business? How do we nurture those customers before? How, like, so you're constantly thinking about this um, foundational pieces that are, that are necessary in order to really scale so those kind of tools translated really nicely when I moved into you know my current role as a sales manager for Mia, much larger company, a lot more process in place, but I still have that, oh yeah, let's think back on how we're going to build from here. Absolutely. Your journey into leadership has been fascinating. One I've always been really curious about because it's clear that you're passionate about that and quite early in your career you found out that this is where you need to be. You need to lead people. But a lot of account execs out there, I think a lot of them feel that that's the next step, right, is for them to look into becoming a manager and taking that step. Some people out there are feeling that maybe that opportunity is not there for them or that they're struggling to get it. Others maybe just have a lack of understanding of what it takes to be a great leader. So I just want to understand more about that awareness that you had to say, actually, this is the place for me. How did you actually lean in to make it happen? Well, kind of taking a step back, one of my mentors has has said, you know, leadership is a step. 
you know, when you're thinking about uh, your individual contri- being an individual contributor, you can be a career individual contributor and be f- amazingly successful and lead an amazing career without moving into leadership. So a lot of times we think, oh, we have to go into leadership in order to be climbing that career ladder. But that isn't the case because you have some really amazing salespeople that close mega numbers that are absolutely horrible leaders, not great you know, managers. And, and they may not want that, but they feel like that's the next step. So for me, when I decided that you know, leadership was the way for me. It was when I realized that I cared more about my peers at the time before I even moved into uh, to leadership, cared more about their success and how to help them hit their goals. And I was finding myself being really excited about, oh, yes, yes, we can make this happen. What do we need to do? Let's think about strategy. How are we going to get this deal? What's the, where's the pain? You know, who's the, you know, who's the economic buyer? You know, what's the buying process? What's the decision criteria? And you're working with them on closing their deals. And that's when I found it. I was just like, whoa, this is something I care more about than my own contribution. I did really well. I wasn't the number one AER, the number one rep. I was top, but, <laughs> but, um, it was that. It was that moment of realizing that I care more about the people around me succeeding, and I wanted to be involved in helping them achieve their goals. That's a really, really powerful point. There's, there's something I was taught by one of my mentors as well, which is that you know part of the delta between an individual contributor to becoming a, a top-tier leader is your ability to develop others, right? The bit I got from you there, Kevin, is actually having a passion for that, right? You could see that you gained energy from being able to develop others and play a role in their success. But that sheer, that sheer concept is really, really important because being an individual contributor to your point, you know, there's people who, who make millions of pounds or millions of dollars if you're money motivated. There's people that get a ton of fulfillment for that. To take that step as a leader it shouldn't necessarily be viewed as just the linear next step, the thing to do. You've got to ask yourself, are you passionate about developing talent? How do you feel about recruiting people? How do you feel about having a team where, you know, some people might be super motivated, others are having really low days. How are you going to bring those people up when times are getting tough? So there's a lot more that that comes with it, right? Versus just sometimes what appears to be the glitz and, and glamour and just it being the na- natural next step. Would you say that's a fair, fair statement? Yeah, definitely. I, I it kind of, you, you hit on a couple of things there, right? Like thinking about, oh, do I, do I just go there because that's the fate, that's the next step. That's what I'm supposed to do. But the, the, the passion that you need to have when you are leading people, I think for me, it was understanding individual drivers and uh, that my AEs had, you know, what was it, what were they driving towards? Cause people have different motivations. Some people are money motivated. Some people just want to be able to like go on a holiday whenever they want, wherever they want. Some people are building to, you know, buy a home for their, for their parents or, or a family member. You know, some people just want to just be in their role, make their money and go home at 5 PM every day. And that's it. Do you know? Being able to understand what those motivations are and help drive the kind of, we have numbers that we're supposed to hit, right? As a, as a leader, 
you're tagged with a number. And if I'm going and cracking the whip and saying, everybody, just keep going, keep going, drive, drive, drive. You know, it's a blanket driver. It doesn't it doesn't resonate with most. So understanding what individually motivates each person on your team is crucial in order to get what you need out of them and what they want to to give you. So, and if you understand them on an individual level, then they're more motivated to work with you in achieving the goal because we're a team at the end of the day. That's what we are. It's awesome advice. Awesome advice. Uh, of course, now, Kevin, you've been in several leadership roles, which is great. And it means that you've got a ton of foresight, right? Large companies, smaller companies. So I want to explore some of the traits that you've observed from the elite level sellers, the ones that are going out there crushing it consistently versus others that are maybe having having a harder time. Are there some characteristics, traits, behaviors, consistencies that you can call on to say, actually, these are the things that really seem to formulate the elite level performers? It may be controversial, but probably not, no. Because again, going down to that individual level, people have different motivations. I think if we, if we want to label what I think would really like cultivate a very successful you know, salesperson, it's someone who wants to learn and grow, growing every day. Someone who's got that drive, grit, not afraid to not afraid to just take those extra steps or not afraid to hear feedback and implement that feedback you know not afraid to ask for help not afraid to say that they don't have the answer not afraid to you know feel uncomfortable in a conversation you know and and I think living in the pain of a customer is super critical you know those are all things that I think you just have to have the courage to be able to do that. And a lot of times, if you don't have that bit where you don't, you don't need to be this, I need to know, you know, medic or, you know, I need to know Sandler. These are all methodologies and sales process. This is just think, this is just a map, right? How you get there is completely up to you. And you have to have that whatever inner fire, what inner grit, inner drive, courage to do those things. And I think that's what really makes a, an elite salesperson. That's really, really powerful, Kevin, because when I'm asked this similar question, I, I normally just say to people, look, the passion, the drive and the hunger, those are the things that you can't intrinsically be taught per se, right? You've got to bring that part to the table. The qualification uh, criteria, the methodologies, the, the science, you can be taught that, right? And so when you match the two together, all of a sudden you're starting to build together the blueprint of a top tier seller. But if you if you don't bring the intrinsic hunger, it's very difficult to cultivate that in someone. I think you can ignite it if they've got something in them and they've maybe just lost their way, but it's difficult to just fundamentally build that in someone. So I really love the fact that, you know, we I think we share a similar approach in the way that we think about that. What I want to understand with you, Kevin, is now what your drivers are, you know, as we sit across this table right now, you've got a pretty incredible story, right? And when we go back to, your, you know, your early days, uh, the hustle, I can feel the fact that you're still extremely driven. There's something burning in you. When you look ahead now, one, what is driving you and what does Kevin's legacy look like in this world? I've actually been thinking a lot about this this question because I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts now and I know this is the question that comes up. And I was talking to my partner and I was just like, 
what is the answer to this question? I think that when we think about our goals and what we're what we're driving towards, a lot of times we drive towards a goal, we hit it, and then we're like, okay, what's the next goal? How do we get there? What, what's what's next? And we keep put, putting what's next. We never bask in the achievements that we have. And right now, I'm in a role that I absolutely love and I'm learning every day and it challenges me. Um, I, I feel like I'm doing the things that this is a point that I've been driving towards. And now I'm here. I'm just going to bask in it. And that's, I deserve that because I've worked super hard to get to this place. Does that mean that I'm just going to sit back and just sit in my hammock and swing? No, like I'm, I'm, I'm challenged every day. I'm pushing every day, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing every day. And tomorrow will come, but I'm living, I'm living for today right now. So that's what's driving me. I'm living the dream. <laughs> yes. and, and that's, that's all you can really ask for from your life, right? Is when you can look around, say, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm blessed. And I think it's, you know, with everything that you've shared with us so far, it's, it's, it's amazing to hear that you're in that place where you can just look around and say, you know what, I'm, I'm happy, right? I'm, I'm content. I think the best thing is that you, you know where you've wanted to be, right? You want to be developing talent. You're in a position where you're now able to do that. And so I think it's a pretty incredible story in the way that you've been able to understand and have a lot of self-awareness, lean into that, and then actually find, find a home for yourself, you could say, in many regards. A topic that I want to double tap on with you because we have touched on, you know, some of the medic principles and certain other things with deals is some of the common mistakes you often see reps making. If we get a bit more tactical, when you're looking at, you know, examples of, of deals, are there any trends or patterns where you say, actually, I just fundamentally see this gap in the process or this part that I see reps consistently missing. And if they could lean into this, it would make a massive difference to their ability to be successful. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think when we let's take, you know, MedPick as an example, a lot of times we think of this as steps that we need to take when we're having that first call, maybe that second call, you know, we have our discovery call, then we have our demo call, and we're like, trying to follow the the MedPick process. And I think that that's a mistake that a lot of AEs make, it's because when you're thinking about any process that is happening, it's not something you do. So every conversation that you have, you're answering questions that are that fit across the MedPick methodology. You know, if I'm trying to understand, you know, the metrics, uh, you know, that this like I know my product does X for you, and I have customers that have found this. You're always having this conversation throughout the entire sales process, and I think that a lot of A's forget that that is part of a conversation. It is how you have a conversation, how you frame your conversation to extract information that pushes the deal forward or out. And, you know, rather than looking at it as something I need to do every day, you know, I just need to, oh, I got to make sure I complete my, you know, my, my med pick notes. You know, it's like, this is the part of the this is how you sell. This is how you understand your buyer. This is how you drive that decision forward. And it's happening all the time. It's like breathing. 
Yes. And you made that point earlier about the GPS, right? In a way, it plays into that type of analogy where you do see it sometimes, right? Where people see MedPick and then it becomes very mechanical and they say, right, I've checked that box. I've checked that box. We also forget that, you know, we are dealing with human beings, right? There's emotional intelligence involved in these cycles. We need to be able to bring the best out of our customers. And as you say, not just walk through a, a checklist, but actually get them bought into a process that's going to drive mutual success in some fashion. So I love the way that you frame that. When you're looking at reps now and you're, you're actually in these coaching cycles and you're developing the talent, as we've spoken about earlier on these types of things, how do you evangelize this in a way where they actually get comfortable around seeing things slightly differently to maybe, let's say you've got a rep that is viewing it very much like a tick box exercise. How do you walk them along that journey in a delicate enough way that they, they get what you're saying and, and how to make that difference versus them staying a little bit stuck in the way that they're doing things right now? Patiently. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's, it's, it's one of those things where you just take steps. You don't get buy-in until people are seeing the impacts in their paychecks, right? They're seeing that they're closing more deals or they're closing out more deals or close lossing more deals because that's important too. You need to be able to close loss an account early, as early as possible and be okay with that. And, you know, when you're thinking about a methodology like MedPick, that's the way to work your deals better and kind of you have to take those kind of baby steps. And one of the things that we're, we're doing right now is defining what MedPick means to us as a, as a team, you know, and so we under, we, we think about MedPick and we have this definition across the, you know, the different letters. And we're like, what does that mean? How does that, how does that work? You know, we sit down in a group setting as a team and we go through, well, what are the hesitations? What are the challenges you're running into? Why is it, why aren't you bought in here? You know, and open the the dialogue, have a conversation with your team so you can understand where the roadblocks are. And a lot of times, you know, one of the things, one of the findings for me was, oh, well, you know, we think that it's just something that you're measured on, so we have to do it. And it's funny when you think about that as, as a seller, we're always talking about well, what, understanding their why, understanding the customer's why, what's their why, what's their why. And then we go as leaders saying, just do this. And not give a why, not help our team understand why this is important and how it's going to impact them. And you can't get that without a dialogue, without a conversation and pooling out honest feedback, honest conversation, honest hesitations. That's the, 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 the place where you start because then you can build a plan going forward on how are we going to implement this in a way that's the least resistant for our, for our team. And that's where that, that first step is. And then once you go there, then you just take it baby steps at a time. And we're still in this process, right? So that's where I am now is like just taking those baby steps. Yeah. The why is that that's, I love that point, right? Because you're absolutely right. Just landing some, something on someone's lap and saying, here, here's the next thing for you to do today. And I think we all know salespeople aren't a big fan of admin. And when you just land something on someone's lap, it can feel like admin, right? Fill in your med pick checklist, if the person doesn't understand the intrinsic value and how that's going to help them realize some of their personal and professional goals, it just is going to feel like another burden. So it's a phenomenal point to help bring them along that journey and make sure that they're clear on understanding exactly that, the why. 
Kevin, there's another topic I wanted to get your perspective on, and it feeds into a lot of what we've spoken about so far, which is really career decision-making, because something that you've mentioned earlier today is the fact that you feel you love the company you're at, right? You feel at home, you're a leader and operating within a space where you can develop talent, which you love. If you're talking to other reps out there that maybe feel whether they're a bit lost or they're trying to work out what should their next career move be, how should they be thinking about that decision to make sure that they can take a step towards somewhere where they really feel at home? Yeah, that's that's a hard, hard question to answer, right? Because sometimes we don't feel like at home. And I've been in multiple situations where I didn't feel like at, like at home in my in my role. But for me, the way that I kind of navigated that is like, what am I here for? So under, going back to the why, what am I getting at? Kind of take a step back. I've always, my mindset has always been, what's the benefit of this? How am I learning? Where am I growing? How am I, how am I, what am I getting out of this, regardless of the situation? And I think that that's kind of that always be learning mentality. So I've been in roles where I was unhappy in those roles, but the things that I was gaining from it was helping me kind of to, you know, get, go forward. You know, we, we have vehicles that were, you know, driving in our, 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 you know, theoretical, like our life vehicle that we drive. And, you know, you may have a Ferrari or Toyota or whatever. And you're, as your, as your vehicle through your career life, along the way, you'll get upgrades that you're getting from whatever role that you're in. And you just attach those upgrades to your vehicle and you keep on going and you get to a point where you feel happy or you feel I don't like the word content, but <laughs> I'm a salesperson. So <laughs> I think that that's a hard, that's a, that's a hard one to, to grab a hold on. Just if I'm, you know, talking to someone who's in a role that they're unhappy with, think about what you're getting out of that. And if you can't think of anything that you're, anything positive that you're getting out of this role, then you need to move on and have the courage to just do it, move on. I think that's, that's it. That's it at the end of the day, either move on or learn. Makes a ton of sense. I, with the last guest that that I had on, we was I was mentioning the fact that you know I've been having this thought when I look at careers around these three words of, of passion, purpose, and then and then wealth or wealth creation. Because I think for a lot of salespeople, they can get very stuck in the wealth creation bucket, right? The next company that's going to IPO and the next company that's going to do X or Y, and then one and two can get ignored, right? The passion, purpose piece. And certainly as my career's evolved, I'd say I deprioritized probably one and two in the earlier years. And then as time's gone on, you start to realize how important it is for you to feel fulfilled in what you're doing. If you were talking to a seller who said, hey, Kevin, for me, it's about the money, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here to chase the bag. I want to make as much money as I can. And really their criteria capped out there. As a leader, what message would that send to you? Does that pose any concerns or actually would you still lean into that because they're clear about what they're here for, what their mission is? That would really depend on, um, you know, kind of the the drivers behind that. Because if your driver is just, I need to make a bunch of money and if it's at all costs, then you're not the right person for my team. You know, I like working with people who like to make money but also care about what they're doing. They, they have some passion about what they're doing. They have some integrity about what they're doing. How they do it matters. You know, not just doing it for the sake of making as much money as I can. Because there are some people that, you know, make a bunch of money, you know, close a bunch of deals that don't renew. 
you know, and now that's impacting on a company level. And that is not attractive to me. You know, I want someone who wants money, but also cares about what they're doing and passionate about what they're doing and, and cares about dealing with people because we're dealing with people every day. That's the, that's the piece that's more important, I think, for me. Got it. And equally, if someone, you know, from your team and said, hey, Kevin, I, I want to step into your shoes, right? You know, as the next step in my career, I want to become a leader. I want to become a manager. What are some of the actionable steps you'd encourage that rep to start doing to help them start to progress their career towards leadership? Because I think that remains a common strand for, I think, a lot of AEs out there. Yeah. Mentor. You need someone. Like, I, I think back across my entire career, and I can point to so many people that have helped me level up. You know, I have multiple mentors and being open to, you know, hearing their feedback, hearing them out, hearing the help, having the courage to action some of the, the items that they're saying, hey, just do this, try this out. What do you think here? So having a mentor, someone who has, who's a few steps ahead of you to help kind of guide you in that, in the, in the, in that direction or give you kind of a, an arrow to kind of point towards. I think that's really key. The other piece is courage. You know, you just have to have courage. If you want it, go for it, you know, and you, you can't be afraid to make mistakes because you will make mistakes. I make mistakes <laughs> every day, you know, and it's a matter of learning from those mistakes, but you know, I think I think those are kind of the, the 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 main things that I would think besides you know the skill set things that you need to like grab on to but courage point to some mentors work with them that's brilliant, Kevin. There's been a, a lot in this one, man. A lot of emotion, a lot of actionable things. So hope for the listeners that they're getting the same out of this. Now, uh, you mentioned you listen to the podcast. So if you do, you'll probably know this question that's about to come. But I ask every single guest with this being the elite level podcast that if you were speaking to that rep or that person out there today that wants to go from good to elite in whatever career it is that they have, what would your single best piece of advice be for them? I would say that if they want to go from good to great, lean in on trust, lean in and give it freely, but hold people accountable. You can't have trust without accountability. And that's something that I've lived by. Trust and accountability, trust and accountability, because that protects you as well. Having that accountability piece on trust, because you can't be blind with your trust. I love it. What a way to go out. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming down. To anyone that's been listening out there, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, if you're watching this on YouTube, again, please be sure to smash that like button, comment, share and subscribe. And if you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, a five star review would be fantastic. I hope that you've enjoyed the episode and we'll see you on the next one.